Teachers out in the foyer area. Parents, today is the first day we're going to be doing check-in and uh, pick up on Sunday morning. We've been doing it on Wednesday nights. And so if you haven't checked in your child yet, uh, please make sure you go out to the table and do that real quick here. And uh, for those of you maybe that have been gone for a little bit and uh, you've not been here with us, or if you're a guest with us today, um, I'm really excited about some of the things that God has been doing in our lives as a church and some of the testimonies that have been taking place. some of the things that he's been speaking to people and the steps of obedience people have been taking. And uh, we've been in some series through the fall, and we have small groups, we have huddles that meet on Sundays and on Wednesday nights that kind of take the Sunday sermon and they, they kind of take it and can we maybe get this to sound a little better? I kind of sound like I'm in a tin can up here, but um, good luck. Um, and so we try to help you process through the message that's given because we believe discipleship is not how much you know, it's how much you put into practice. Okay, Jesus didn't say, come listen to me. He said, come follow me. Does that make sense? And so we've been trying to help us do that. And it started back in September. We went through a book called The Prodigal God, which really emphasized that all humanity is lost. Some of us are like the younger brother and uh, the prodigal who ran away and squandered his wealth and lived it up and rejected God. But a lot of us are like the elder brother. We sit in a church pew week after week after week after week going through religious routine and duty, but we're just as lost as that brother out in a pig pen. And that book really uh, awakened that in our hearts and led us through a path of repentance. Then we went through a book called um, the Spread the Fire, which was about the baptism in the Holy Spirit in today's culture and how that works in our lives, why we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not just so that you can um, you know, collect some tools so that you can call people over to your garage and say, hey, look at my tools. Aren't they great? They're actually for us to use to build the kingdom. And so then you can call people over and look what God is building, not just look at my tools. And now we're getting ready for a series called Keep Your Love On, and it's a book by Danny Silk. There's a copy of it uh, at the back uh, table. Yep, there's still a few back there, and so if those are gone, we'll order some more, Um, but please make sure you get those. The huddles are going to start going through them the week of January 21st. I felt like the Lord put three different sermons on my heart to kind of get us ready for that, and I call it Getting Our Love On. In order to keep our love on, we have to first get our love on. And so last week, we went through just the idea of relationships in the body of Christ, what God is looking for in our lives, how we're to treat one another in the body of Christ, how we're to treat our enemies, what that looks like. And uh, I used a video from Britain's Got Talent, if you remember the video, if you were here last week. And uh, some people have said, I haven't been able to see it, and I'm going to try to post that on our church Facebook page so you can watch the video that goes with that message, or if you listen to the podcast online. I know you lose a lot because there's not a lot of speaking. It's actually visual. And so I'll try to post that so you can watch it and understand it. And I'd encourage you to watch it again and again uh, because I believe it's such a great picture for how God wants us to treat one another in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But if you remember the guys from behind the curtain hit the golden buzzer uh, because the guy on stage performed well. But I don't think God wants us to just hit the golden buzzer for people who perform well, but for people who don't perform well. He wants us to draw near to them too. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Then you'll be like your Father in heaven. Don't just hit the buzzer for the good ones. Hit the buzzer for everybody. And this last week, I had an opportunity to do it, and I want to share it with you real quick before we get into today. And 
I've got a lot to do today because there's two things we're going to cover. Um, but I was talking to someone on the phone and they were telling me about um, this person who really is just struggling where they are in life. And it's so out of character for them because I remember them being completely different. I remember them not being like they are right now. Um, and so I'm racking my brain thinking, you know, what, what sermon could I send them or what book could I give them or, you know, how, what could I say to like point out, stop doing this? And uh, instantly, I felt like, well, not instantly, but in one of the moments I was praying because I prayed all day long and uh, this thought came to me that I should send them a text and I should praise them and thank them for living the way I remember, not as if they lived that way then, but as if they're living that way now. And just recall to mind who they are, a reminder of who they were. And uh, I did that, and the text came back, and it worked. So you hit the golden buzzer. We think that when someone acts wrong, we're supposed to go to them and tell them, stop doing that, or this is bad. Instead, God says, you know, speak to what I put in them. Okay, if someone's lying, don't go up and say, hey, liar, but speak to the truth. You're a truth teller. Does that make sense? Someone's doing something wrong. What's the, the positive thing that God put in their life? What's the characteristic of God that needs to rise to the surface so that they don't participate in that? Now, I'm not saying we never point out sin. The Bible does say we do that, but um, I think that we just assume that that's the way to go, and so I want to challenge you to do that, and today... Um, getting our love on was last week. Today, we're going to watch your mouth, heart. Watch your heart. Um, that's not a typo that you'll understand as we go through the message today. And this has been on my heart for a number of months, this idea of watching our mouth or also watching our hearts. And as I was getting ready for it, I felt like the Lord said that I, he wanted me to share something that he shared with me back in December 1st. And in fact, he put this, this um, he, he put a message in my heart back in December on identity, knowing who we are in Christ. And uh, I was actually going to share it at the Journey Youth event that was scheduled on January today, January 7th. That's ironic because I'm going to share it now. Uh, not in, 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 in its entirety, and obviously teaching it to youth would be different than teaching it to adults, but he put this message in my heart. And uh, it's just kind of been unpacking. And I feel like it's something we need to understand before we talk about watching our mouth. And so this idea of identity, knowing who we are in Christ, and I, I brought some zipper hoodies with me today. Uh, I love zipper hoodies. I haven't always loved zipper hoodies, but for some reason, I'm in a season of life and I, I almost want to blame the Lord because uh, once he showed me this, I'm like, man, that's why you've had me get all these zipper hoodies. In fact, my wife got me this zipper sweater just recently. And so when, when it comes to identity, some of us try to find our identity in the clothes that we wear. And so it's much like this Old Navy hoodie. You know, if my clothes are from somewhere cool or from a certain store or a certain brand. And I know that we, we live in a society today where everybody just does whatever they want. You know, there's no style. It's just whatever you want. Yet we're still trying to find our identity in that. We claim we don't care what anybody thinks, but we spend an hour getting ready before we go out. Uh-huh. So we're trying to find identity in the clothes that we put on. But 
and there's nothing wrong with looking nice. Please take a shower before you go out and all that's good. But we cannot find our identity in our clothes. Now, maybe for you, clothes aren't where you look for your identity. Maybe for you, it's what school you attend or what school you did attend. Yeah, I graduated from such and such university or, you know, or maybe I'm going for my doctorate and your identity is in your, your degree. Or maybe you just take pride in where your kids go to school. Hey, my uh, son goes to North Central University and he got a scholarship and he's really good and I'm just so proud. Of and there's nothing wrong with being proud of your children. There's nothing wrong with enjoying, you know, becoming educated or growing in your understanding or your knowledge in the field, but you can't find your identity in it. We especially try to find as parents our identity in our children. In other words, when our children misbehave or they do something that we know other people are going to judge or criticize, it's like, oh no, I'm a bad parent. Or, uh, you know, if they do something good, then I'm a good parent. Or I'm a bad, today I'm a bad parent, today I'm a good parent, today I'm a bad parent, today I'm a good parent. You cannot find your identity in your children. God had to teach Abraham this, remember? He gave him the promised child, and Isaac, Isaac was the promise. I mean, this is how I'm going to have a lot of descendants, Isaac. But Abraham was putting too much in Isaac. Can, if you've ever been a first-time parent, you know, maybe you never were, but you were nervous. You know, you take a baby home and you're like, am I going to do something wrong? Am I going to drop them? Why are they crying? I don't know what to do. They're super fragile. And, you know, we're just nervous. We keep going in the crib room. Are they still breathing? And we go back out. And, you know, for us, our first child, you know, Kedrick was in the, the NICU down in Sioux Falls for a while. So it was super crazy for me taking him home. I was like, I turned from a very heavy sleeper, like alarm clock, waking up the whole floor in college people pounding on my door to hear it, to I wake up you know, at the drop of anything now because, uh, because of that. And so it just I want to hear what goes on. And, you know, you have the baby monitor in there, and then you're like, did he stop breathing? And then you get out of bed, and you, some of you are like, you have problems. I know, I do. Um, but you can't find your identity in that. And when God said, you know what, Isaac, here's that promised child. I wonder if Abraham was like that. You know, don't let him get hurt. He's the promise. I mean, like bubble boy. <laughs> Put Isaac in the bubble so he doesn't. He's, but if he's the promise, he's not going to get hurt. I mean, you don't test the Lord. But that's how it's so crazy that God said, take him up to the mountain and kill him. Huh. He, God, you know, he's the promise. And God says, you don't find your identity in him. He told Abraham, I am your reward, not your son. But some of us, it's not school. For some of us, it's our accomplishments. For some of us, it's what sports teams we like or what sports teams uh, we're on or the accomplishments that we've made or the awards that we've received. And so much like this hoodie, this is, what we, this is where we find our identity. And again, nothing wrong with accomplishing things or being proud of accomplishments or being on a team or doing, but our identity can't be in what we, whew, Tried to hook that on so that it didn't happen in what we uh, do. Now, some of us are way more spiritual than any of that. And so, <laughs> luckily, I have this hoodie for the human right, which is our Speed the Light uh, theme where we raise money for missionaries because some of us find our identity in our church work. And if I can't serve in that ministry, well, then I'll just go somewhere else. 
because our identity is so wrapped up in what we're doing. And we're trying so hard to do the right thing to please the Lord. We're like elder brothers. I'm slaving for God. You're not in a relationship with God. You're not, you're not secure in the fact that you're a child of God. You've got to prove it. You've got to earn it. You've got to give more. You've got to serve more. You've got to, and, and it's done not out of love for the Lord. It's done out of a sense of obligation or to find our identity. And it can't be that way. Some of us really don't have an identity. We have no idea who we are. We feel hopeless. We feel lost. We feel hidden in a crowd, even though we're wearing orange. And we've got nothing. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know God. I don't even know if there is a God. And our identity is completely and totally lost. And everything on this shelf over here can never give us our identity. The scripture is so, so, so clear about this. The only place you and I can find identity is at the cross. It's the only place. It's the only place. And the Bible says when you come to the cross, you recognize that you're a sinner. You've broken God's law. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. None of these hoodies, even the religious one, is going to help you. And what you have to do is you have to come to the cross and you have to make an exchange. All of these hoodies for this one. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus was perfect. He was the son of God. He came to earth as a man. And he died on that cross in your place to take away your sin and to give you identity as a son or daughter of God. And the Bible says when you believe in your heart that Jesus died and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, that you become a child of God. And so, much like this hoodie, when the Lord looks at you, when the Father looks at you now, this is what he sees. This is all he sees. No, I'm not saying he doesn't see your characteristics, your personality. It's not like he doesn't love you or think you're special. But you don't have to perform for him anymore because our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus. So if I perform well, it doesn't make a difference. It's still Christ. If I don't perform well, it doesn't make a difference because it's still Christ. He is both the author and the finisher of our salvation. My obedience to God no longer adds anything to my salvation or never did, never could. None of us can do anything to make ourselves saved. Look at the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 6. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Paul doesn't say, you know, I find my identity in speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all the Corinthians. He doesn't say, I find my identity in the visions I've received of the third heaven. He has. He's received visions of the third heaven, whatever that even means. We don't even know what that means. And so he doesn't find his identity in that. He doesn't find his identity in all of the people that have come to the gospel, all of the miracles he's performed. He doesn't find his identity in all of the revelation that God has given him. He's given us so much revelation that he's written down in Peter. The apostle that was with Jesus for three years on the earth said, Paul writes some stuff that's really hard to understand. 
Peter said that. And yet Paul says, I don't glory in any of that. I don't find my identity in any of that. I mean, I do it, but I find my identity only in the cross and what Christ has done for me. This is so important for us to understand because the moment we come into Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes to live inside of us. Okay, now, I don't know if you've ever seen The Odd Couple, whether the old or the new version, uh, you know, Felix and Oscar, the slob and the perfectionist, you know? And, and so it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit is Felix and we're Oscar. Now, neither one of them are really a good representation of the Holy Spirit because perfectionism is a way of finding identity. But uh, you, you just hear what I'm saying. So when, one, when the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, what he realizes is that even though I've put on Christ, there is some stuff in my heart that needs to come out. And the Holy Spirit moves in there, and he's like, hmm, I'm not sure I really like uh, this thing. In fact, I don't like it because it's against the character of God. So he tries to reveal it to us through his word, maybe through like the still small voice, maybe through a friend. Someone comes to us and says, hey, you know, I, I don't know, I'm supposed to tell you this, or they, they watch it. And if that doesn't work, here's what happens. Something comes out of our mouth, okay? And we're like, well, where did that come from? You know, if you wouldn't have made me get upset, that would have never came out of my mouth. Well, I'm sorry that came out of my mouth. You know, I was just having a really bad day, and I just took it out on you, and that's not really what's in my heart. And so what happens is, because we didn't own it, it goes back in. And the Holy Spirit's like, ugh, ugh. Okay, and it's not like the Holy Spirit, you know, just, you know, I don't know if you've ever walked into your kids' rooms and found, like, food and been like, ugh, what are you doing leaving food in here? Uh, but it's not like the Holy Spirit is just like, well, you know, that my preference isn't that is here. He's, like, allergic to sin. And so any sin that's in there, he's trying to get rid of. Now, keep in mind, I'm, my life's already hidden in Christ. And so the question then is, well, why obey at all? You know, if my life is hidden in Christ and nothing I do from this moment on does anything to change my standing with God, why obey him? Well, there's one word answer for that. Love. Love. Not emotional feeling, but agape love, the kind of love that God gives to us, the kind of love he demonstrated when he died for us. Love. Jesus, all the way through John chapter 14, talks about this. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And we read that, and this is what we're like. Well, I love him, so I have to prove it by obeying his commandments. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He doesn't say, prove your love for me by acting a certain way. He's saying, when something comes out of your heart or your life, recognize you don't have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. And so you need to ask me, ask me for more love. Where does love come from? The Father puts his love in our hearts. Now, if stuff comes out of our hearts or out of our mouths, both, and we, we own it, we say, yep, that was in my heart, that has no place in my heart because I'm a son of God. That has no place in my life. And I've given my life to him 
That's love. I don't have to get emotional. I don't have to be, I don't have to feel anything. I just make a decision. I have surrendered my life to Christ. It's hidden in him. This thing doesn't belong there. I've read it in the Bible. It doesn't belong in my heart. And so I'm going to, I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to repent of it. God, I need you to remove that thing from my heart. And the Holy Spirit just waits for the opportunity to just allow things to come to the surface so that we can repent of them. How many of you know, on day one when he moves in your heart, he doesn't push everything that's in your heart that's evil out? Did you know? It's okay. It's just a little car. Don't be distracted by it. Give me your attention. It's good. Okay. (laughs) You don't need that little car. You need identity in Christ, okay? That's what you need. So the Holy Spirit doesn't push all of that out of your heart on day one. But what happens is, when new believers come into the church, what does the church do? Well, I see that thing in their life that the Lord needs to remove from them and correct them, and so I'm going to go and point that out for them. We see them and we give them identity based on what they're doing, not in who they are. Their identity is not in who they are in Christ, in our eyes, it's in what their behavior is. Now, I'm not saying we don't try to correct people, but remember how Jesus told us to correct people? Remove the log from your eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, don't just go into this thinking you know what to do. Look for what I'm pushing to the surface. Maybe there's something I'm digging out first before I get to that thing. I mean, here's the thing. If I get saved and I still have bad characteristics, bad things in my life, bad things in my heart, am I going to hell? Let me answer that for you. No, because I'm only going to heaven because I've committed my life to Christ. Now, my spirit man becomes new instantly, but my soul, my mind, my body, my will, my emotions, all of this is going to be renewed day by day. So there's all kinds of stuff lurking in here. And so what happens is we see someone do something and we're like, and they call themselves a Christian. Yes, they do, because that's their identity in Christ. And that came to the surface in their life, and they need to repent of it. Now, Paul says, Peter says, James says, if you claim to be a believer, you will not continue to sin. Okay, what that means is, when that stuff comes out of your mouth or out of your life, you will say, I don't want that there. You will own it and you will repent of it. You will cast it aside. You will not say, well, God understands my weakness. Uh, Well, you know, I don't know that the Bible really means all sin or all slander. You know, I don't, we won't, we won't make excuses. We won't pretend it's not there. We'll fully own it. And I was going to use the word own it today, by the way, but I thought, no, I don't want people to own their sin. Um, but apparently it's the word of the day. So we're going to do it. We're going to go with it. You got to own that thing that came out of your heart. It was in your heart. Okay. Just because someone puts you in, in a pressure situation and they pushed your buttons doesn't mean that thing wasn't in your heart. Now identity is so, so, so important because otherwise when things come out of our hearts, we're afraid to own them. But my identity is not even in my behavior. My identity is hidden in Christ. 
Now, that doesn't mean we're flippant with sin. It doesn't mean we ignore sin, and it doesn't mean we excuse sin at all. It just means we deal with the sin from a place of safety as sons and daughters of God. Does that make sense? Are you all with me? You, are you, if you like, think I'm right, shake your head. Okay. If you don't, don't shake your head. <clears throat> but here's the thing. I, I'm like, well, God... How can love be a motivator? What about like the reward system? What, if you do good things, you're going to be rewarded in heaven. Or what about fear? You know, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. Neither one of those are long-standing motivators. I mean, they'll motivate for a while. If you can, you know, get people afraid of hell, it'll motivate them for a little bit, but it won't last. If you can talk to people about heavenly rewards, it'll motivate them for a while, but it won't last. Remember the parable of the minas, the one guy that hid his mina? What did he say? I knew you were a harsh man. I knew it. I knew, it. I knew you were harsh. I was afraid of what was going to happen with the one thing you gave me, fear. And so I hid it. I hid it in the ground, and I'm just going to give it back to you. I'm just going to give you what you gave me. I didn't want to lose any of it. I, didn't, I, just, I was afraid. What motivated the good, faithful servants was love. Love for the master. Love is the only motivator that is going to continue to last. In the book of John, John writes about this. He's, in chapter 3, this is called the love book. He talks about love so much, but it, this is what, how he starts, chapter 3. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. See, Cain got his identity from his sacrifice, and when it was rejected, his identity was rejected. If, someone, if God doesn't accept my sacrifice, if someone doesn't accept my gift, if someone doesn't accept what my, what my identity is rooted in, you'll hate them. That's why you have to, have to, have to, have to root your identity in Christ. And when people reject Christ, you don't have to hate them. Okay, because he didn't, and he won't. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that if you've passed from death to life, because we love each other. So how do we know we've passed from death to life? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Remember that word love is not your feelings or emotion. You don't have to feel anything for anybody. Okay, you don't have to feel emotional. You have to act in love towards them. You have to pray. You have to bless. You have to give. You have to serve. You have to do those things that Jesus highlighted that we talked about last week. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life residing in him. In other parts of the book of 1 John, he doesn't say if you hate. <clears throat> he says if you do not love your brother and sister. That means if you are not acting actively in that way towards them. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. It means when it comes out of your mouth, do you own it? Or do you blame your brother and sister? Well, the only reason I'm acting that way is because they did it first. And the only reason I'm acting that way is because of what they did. I mean, we do this all the time when we rant and rave over the bad service we get at a restaurant or in a store, and we curse we not swear, but we curse those people. Idiots. What kind of idiots do they have working there? 
Why, why in Huron do we not have one store that has people that can actually count change? <clears throat> yeah, these things are coming out of our mouth. And you know what? They're in our hearts and the Holy Spirit's like, I really don't like that down here. So please own it. Don't blame the cashier. Don't blame anyone else. Just own that word that's coming out of your mouth and, and cast it away. Repent of it because I don't want it coming back. That's what he's saying. But it's so easy in our culture to say, no, it's someone else's fault. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So how far do we take this? Death. Death. Yep, that's how far we take it. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but no pity, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. You know, our hearts are crazy things because sometimes they make us feel condemned, you know? You feel condemned, oh, I should have done better than that, and God, I repent, and then we want to sit in sackcloth and ashes and keep repenting and repenting and repenting. But I love how John finishes this. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. You understand that? That means your identity is fully rooted in what Christ did for you. And the only way that you and I are going to be able to deal with some of the yuck that's coming out of our lives and the only way we're going to have good relationships with one another and in our families and in our workplaces and in this community is if we get our identity in Christ fully settled. Because if our identity in Christ is not fully settled, then we're going to blame everyone else for the stuff that's coming out of our mouths. Friends, we have confidence before God if our hearts do not condemn us. We have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. John is not saying that if you, if you don't get what you're asking for, it's because you're disobedient or if you obey and you, your heart is pure, then you're gonna get everything you ask for. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you disobey and your heart starts condemning you, if you don't know your identity and you don't repent of that thing that's coming out, you don't have the confidence to ask God. You don't have the faith to ask him for anything. I mean, you may pray some prayers, but there's no faith, there's no life, there's no confidence attached to that. It's just, well, well, Father, if you, know, if you really love me, well, of course I love you. You're my son. What was the elder brother's problem? You didn't even give me a goat. And the father said, everything I had was yours. Why weren't you wearing the jacket? Why didn't you understand you were my son? I mean, you're slaving for me, but your identity is all over here. And your identity has to just be in me. Because this is God's command. Look at this. This is his command. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Put the hoodie on. That's the commandment. <laughs> Believe that he did it for you. Believe that everything was settled at the cross. Yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but from a place of security and identity, not trying to earn it. I think if we get this, it's gonna change how we live it's going to change how we see ourselves. It's going to change how we see other people. 
forever. Now, let's come back to the mouth. Well, before we do, let me read two more verses. Um, because it, this is how it changes us. Um, when we up our, from that identity in Christ, there's no more condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay? My behavior no longer defines me. Now, other people may define you by your behavior, okay? But God defines you by your relationship with Christ. Okay? Now, if you're excusing your behavior and blaming other people for your behavior, then you're, you're not, you know, then you're, you're not owning it. Okay? So then that is an issue. But don't let the labels that other people put on you uh, be where you find your identity. And then in Romans chapter 12, don't think that you're better than you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. It changes how we see ourselves and it changes how we see others. And we can be more merciful to others when we understand they're wearing a hoodie too. Wouldn't it be just better if God just put these on us and we could just see, you know, oh yeah, believer, you know, wouldn't have guessed it, but believer, um, right? I mean, if our perfectionism is the only thing going to get us into heaven, we might as well go home. We're wasting our time. But if my identity is hidden in Christ, it frees me to be able to walk this life out. So guard your heart. Proverbs chapter, 40, or Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life meaning everything comes out of your heart. So you gotta guard it, guard what you're putting in. I just saw something on Facebook yesterday that we are the movies we watch, we are the things we read, we are the thoughts we think. All of those things that we're putting in our hearts, okay, are gonna come back out because that's what we're feeling. So guard your heart. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked. It's deceitful. See, we can change our behaviors for a short time. But in a pressure moment, okay, when we don't have the chance to, you know, put on our best face, that's what reveals what's in our hearts. It reveals those thoughts we've been pondering. I know this is really going to get ugly for some of us right now, but um, just remember, remember identity, okay? But, you know, if we ponder those thoughts towards someone in our hearts and then they upset us, What's in our hearts come out because we don't have a chance. It's just our, it's our natural reaction. It's in our heart. Whether it's someone we know or a stranger or whatever, how we are thinking in our hearts comes out. You know, there's a misunderstanding in our culture today that God sees our hearts and that means that I can act any way I want, but God knows that's not what's in my heart. Well, that's a fallacy because Scripture teaches us that it's what's in our heart that actually comes out. I'm going to show you, if you don't believe me, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 15 in just a second. That's what comes out of us is what's in our hearts. In fact, back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, um, there's a passage of Scripture where Samuel's looking for the next king, and he picks you know, uh, Jesse's first son because he looks like a king. He's tall. He's handsome. He's, you know, he's a king. And uh, God says, don't look at him. God doesn't see the way we see. Because God, we look at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's, um, that's how we translate that verse. But a better way to understand that is we see with natural eyes, but God sees with the heart. Does that make sense? 
It's not like we judge people. We, because to say that people's actions don't matter isn't what God is saying in 1 Samuel. He's talking about his outward appearance. Don't use your natural eyes to judge whether someone's a Christian. Use your heart. Use the Spirit of God in you. Because if you use your eyes, you might be deceived. Because you might think someone's a Christian who looks on all on the outside like a good Bible-believing, church-going you know, person. But I promise you that people that dress up and go to church, sometimes at home, they beat their wives. They beat their kids. They lead a double life. They have affairs. And we can't see it. But we've judged with our eyes they're in the kingdom. And other people whose sin is so out there and we see it and they're actually allowing God to bring it to the surface and they're repenting of it and pushing it away, we're like, oh no, they're not believers. There's no way they could be a believer. Don't judge with your eyes, but judge with the heart. All right, I, told, I promise you, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says this, and these verses won't take very long, so don't, don't be worried. A tree... <laughs> is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. <laughs> this is Jesus talking, okay? You brood of snakes. Now, uh, does Jesus not know that all prophecy is for the edification and uplifting <laughs> of the body of Christ? Oh, never mind. First Corinthians wasn't written when Jesus was on the earth. So <clears throat> how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or they will condemn you. So whatever is in our heart determines what we say. We're not going to be judged just because of our words, but we're judged because that's what was in our hearts. I mean, is there an exception to this? Is there a time where, you know, some words come out of our mouth, but they really weren't in our hearts? They just came out of nowhere. They just, you know, bypassed our hearts, just came into our ear by satanic influence and then out the mouth. Um, I don't think so, because the Bible repeats this claim over and over and over again. The words reveal what is in our hearts. Now, Jesus calls them a brood of snakes, Okay, and how does he know what's in their hearts? And if your answer is that he was the son of God and he just knows everything, I don't know that you fully understand Jesus coming to earth because Jesus came to earth fully God and fully man. But the scripture says he took every right and privilege that he had as God and he laid it aside. And he came to earth as a man so that he could be a man and be this perfect sacrifice for our sin, and so he could be a perfect example for us how to live. And so everything he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit, working with him, listening to the heart of the Father. But I think Jesus could know their hearts because of what they said and did repeatedly. And he understands that it's what's in the heart that comes out of our mouths. That's why he makes that judgment. 
over in the book of Matthew chapter 15, just three chapters later. The Pharisees are upset, and they're criticizing the disciples for not washing their hands properly. And now, this wasn't like a law uh, given by God that they had to wash their hands a certain way. But the Pharisees always liked to add, um, you know, little laws to God's laws so that there were so many laws that no one could possibly ever keep them. And because your hands would come in contact with unclean things and unclean people throughout the day, I mean, you might touch a Gentile, and good gravy, if you touch a Gentile, you better wash your hands before you eat, because if you eat with that unwashed hand, then you've got to do it ceremonially. You've got to do it in this prescribed way and step to be sure that you're cleansed. Well, the disciples didn't do that. They were eating with unwashed hands, and they're upset with Jesus, and Jesus, this is his response, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Why, did, why were they offended? Because their identity was in keeping every one of those religious laws. And Jesus just set them aside and said they're obsolete. You don't even need to wash your hands. Peter said, explain to us this parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Because for them, too, they're like, uh, Jesus, it's, it's, like a, it's like a law. It's what we do. How, what's this mean? And Jesus says, anything you eat passes through the stomach and into the sewer. That's, that'll bless you today. <laughs> but, the, you know, I'm just going to keep going. But the words you speak... Come from the heart. That's what defiled you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. See, what comes out of our mouths reveals what's in our hearts. And then I have one last scripture that I want us to look at before we close comes from the book of James. James is talking to people that want to teach, and he says, you know, not everyone should want to be a teacher because teachers are going to be judged with a stricter judgment. You know, they, their lives have to, you know, be at a higher standard because they're, they're where people see them, and they have to be a model for other people to follow. But then he says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, I know we as people exaggerate a lot. You know, in fact, we exaggerate all the time. You know, we say things, then we stretch. Is James exaggerating? You know, if you could control your tongue, you, maybe he's just saying, you know, like, it's so hard to control the tongue that you'd be perfect if you could control the tongue. Maybe it's like a hyperbole. Or maybe James understands that if you were able to control every word that came out of your mouth, that would be the sign that everything in your heart is fully pure. So you would be perfect in every other way. See, no one can tame the tongue. He talks about all those animals you can tame, but you can't tame your tongue. So this isn't a message today about let's just try harder. Let's just try harder not to say, let's tame our tongues. You can't. James just says it right here. No man can tame the tongue. But you know what you can do? You can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to help purify your heart. And when those things come out of your mouth, you can own them, cast them aside through repentance, turn away from it, and 
you can walk in freedom, in life. The tongue is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Praising God and cursing people. This should not be. And what reason does he give for why we should not curse people? Because they're honest, upright, good, upstanding citizens. No, they're made in the image of the Father. That's the reason we don't curse them. You mean we're not supposed to point out when someone sins? Yeah, to them privately, with the log out of your own eye, with a humble heart, for their good, not your own. See, that's why there's these prescribed ways that we go about it. But when that stuff comes out of our mouth, boom. You know, I meet pastors all the time that claim they have a prophetic anointing. And that prophetic anointing means they can see people sin and they just clobber them over the heads and say, you're so sinful and you need to get this sin out and fiery preaching and that, I don't know that that's what that means. I think if you can see someone's sin, I think you need to start speaking to the life of God that's in that child of God if they put their faith in Christ so that that comes to the surface and not just the negative stuff. We're gonna, don't worry, we're gonna talk about all these things in the weeks ahead as we start keeping our love on. I'm just, you know, preparing us for it now. But let me ask you this. Which people is James talking about? Is he talking about other believers or is he talking about all people except maybe like the really bad sinners or maybe the, like the idiots at the store or, you know, the, the president of the United States? Surely he doesn't mean him. We can, we can curse him. Um, well, let me ask this. Who does God curse? I don't know, because it says he's never treated me as my sins deserved, and it says a lot of things that, uh, but maybe, maybe at one point, God, God just gets so fed up, and he just wants to damn someone. I'm just, I am done. Is that what he does? I mean, because the Bible says nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from God's love. Um, and that doesn't mean that we won't choose our own path and end up in hell for eternity, but it won't be because God sent anyone there. It's because we chose it. Okay, people say, well, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? He didn't. He did absolutely everything to make sure everyone went to heaven, but some people choose it. Okay, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose that path. Sin has been dealt with, done with, it's done. He is no longer counting sin against anyone. You just need to repent and believe. That's the scripture. Or maybe God's up in heaven, you know, just looking for a chance. Well, you know that, that Tom, he, his love of Christmas is really starting to get on my nerves. So let's watch him close today. And if he does something wrong, it'll give us a reason to, you know, curse him. No, I think God is in heaven looking for ways to empower you and strengthen you and help you because when he looks at you, what does he see? 
Christ. You're his son, you're his daughter, and he sent his spirit to help bring that stuff to the surface so that it can be dealt with. And we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about the sins of our mouth and watching our mouth. In fact, we're going to postpone the first things first class because in Sunday school, we're actually going to do a five-week study on watching our mouth, our words. I think that this is this important. And we're going to dig deep into some of the stuff that I just kind of went over briefly today. And so for five weeks, starting next Sunday, I want to encourage you to be here with us at 9 o'clock. And we're going to spend some time talking about that. And then we're going to continue talking about keeping our love on for the next uh, series that we, we go through. Um, I'm going to tell you next week, too, there's one other sermon that we're going to talk about. And uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness coming from the heart. Forgiving from the heart. Uh, these three things, just the idea of relationships, the mouth, what the mouth speaks, and forgiveness, I think are three things that we needed to talk about before we get into Keep Your Love On, and then we're going to go from there. But I want to invite you to stand with me. And this is how uh, we're going to close today. If you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with Christ like I described, where you've gone to the cross and you've exchanged, you've literally put on Christ. And maybe today you understood that being a Christian is more than just, you know, saying a prayer, inviting Jesus into my heart. It's a complete change of identity and means now that I have this identity, I'm going to walk a different way. And I know that's a process and sometimes we falter and we fall. And so if you're just faltering, you know, maybe there's some things in your life, don't, we're not talking about you, okay? If you know you have exchanged your life for Christ, you have repented and you've turned from your sin, then whether you feel like it or not, okay, you're a child of God. Now, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, you've never made that choice, that decision, and you're in this room today, would you have the courage just to say, that's, that's me and I want to make that decision today. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to yield everything I am. If that's you, we want to pray for you. We want to share with you some things. We want to make sure that you get well, we can't give you a hoodie, but we want to make sure that you know that you're a child of God. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you to be brave and say, pray for me. I want to be prayed for. I want to accept Christ as my Savior today. Is there anyone? Then I'm going to assume we've all done that. But here's the thing. Maybe there's some of us in this room that this misplaced identity really struck a chord with you. And if you're here and you're wearing one of these, it's time to exchange it for this. And as we close the service today, we're going to open the altars and our prayer team is going to be here in the front. And I want you to come and I want you to find one of them and I want you to just confess what's going on. Say, hey, I'm just wearing this as my identity and I need to exchange it for Christ. Now, there's not some magical thing that is going to happen or there's, this isn't a formula, but the Bible says we confess these things to one another. So we've provided some safe people for you to be able to confess that to so that it helps solidify that truth in your life. And that's what we take time to do at the end of the service. Maybe you're in this room and there's some stuff that's coming out of your mouth that you would say, you know what, there's some cleaning up that needs to happen in my heart. And I'm going to admit that today. And if that's you, I'm going to close in prayer 
uh, specifically for that. And so I'm going to ask if you could say, you know what, my mouth and actually my heart need some cleaning today. Pray for me. If that's you, would you be brave enough to say, my mouth, my heart need some cleaning. Pray for me. Anyone else? It's all right. My hand's up, not because I'm modeling, but because it's true. And so, Father, every hand that's up across this room, you said, if we humble ourselves, God, that you would give us great grace. And so I'm going to hold you to your word. God, there are those in this room, we've recognized that there are some things in our hearts that aren't right because out of our mouths are flowing cursing. And it shouldn't be. And we want to deal with those things. We're going to own them. It's not anyone else's fault. It's not our past. It's not our upbringing. It's not the circumstances of our lives. It's not the pressure we receive. It's what's in our hearts. And we no longer want it to abide there because we are temple for your Holy Spirit. And we want him to be more at home in our hearts. And so we own every one of those words and we cast them off right now. We declare that they, those cursings, those things that we speak have no place in our lives as sons and daughters of God. And we repent. And Father, we know that no man can tame the tongue, but we want you to purify our hearts. We need your grace. And we've humbled ourselves before you so we can receive it. And so Holy Spirit, distribute greater grace to our hearts today. Now God, over this body today, I pray your blessing. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you would be gracious to them. That you'd lift up your countenance on them and that you'd give them peace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team's gonna join me here in the front. If you need prayer, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, if you need to be dismissed, please do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that wanna maybe spend some time in prayer before they leave or wanna be prayed for. God bless you as you go.